0: If you want to take your Bibles out with me this morning, I'm going to be uh, beginning my sermon this morning in the book of John. If you want to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Title of the message this morning is Purging the House. John chapter 10 verse 1. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So, verse 7 it says, Then Jesus said again to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. All right, that would be the strangers. We don't listen to strangers. We flee from them. If you're familiar with the voice of the Lord, all right, when you hear something that's clearly not God, you should recognize it, amen, and run from it. All right, that's what this is saying. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, now a hireling and a stranger are two different things. A stranger is a voice that you recognize is not somebody you're supposed to be listening to or following. A hireling is actually somebody that has been hired to watch the sheep. He's not a true shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't really care about them. All right. They're not his. But they do follow him because he's with them and he is paid to be with them. All right. All right. But a hireling, uh, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. That's a reference to you and I. That's a reference to the Gentile world because he's talking to the Jewish people now. He said, I came to my own. So he's preaching to the Jews. But he says, I have other sheep talking about the Gentiles. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, when we read Scripture to properly interpret Scripture, there's some questions that we should ask. We should ask, what is the subject that's being discussed here? Secondly, who does it apply to? Does this apply to me? Because it may be something that applies to that culture or to that generation or to the Jewish people, maybe something specifically to the Gentiles. Does this apply to me? And if it does, what action then do I need to take in response to this message? And then the last question, what happens if I ignore what has been said to me, the things I should be paying attention to. So let's look at what's being said here. The subject that's being conveyed is there's a door and that door is Jesus Christ. And everyone must enter if they wish to be accepted by him, all right? He is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No man comes to God the Father except through Jesus Christ, he's the door, all right? But it also points out that there is another way to enter, to climb up some other way, he said. So we see the same concept again in another passage. We're going to look at that. And it's discussing the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22. Look at it with me. 22 verse 1. And these then Jesus answered and spoke to them again by a parable and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and he sent his servants, all right, that would be the prophets, to call those who were invited to the wedding, that would be the Jews, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and the fatling calf are killed and all things are ready, come to the wedding. Verse 5, but they made light of it and went their way, one to his own farm. All right, now this is a landowner. He owns property. It's his farm. Another to his business. So he's a business owner. These are people that are cultured. They're educated. They're landowners. They're business owners. These are people that should be in the know. Are you with me? Say amen. All right. Verse 6, and the rest seized his servants treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. All right. Now he's not going to the landowners and the business people. He's going to the street people to the undesirable people. The King James says, go into the highways and the hedges and, and compel them to come in. It says, go and get the, the lame, the halt, the blind, and and, the, the, um, and and bid them to the wedding. All right, verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all who were found, both bad, all right, that would be the Gentiles, and good, that would be the believing Jews that would come to the wedding. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he saw a man there that did not have on a wedding garment. What happened? In the other example, he climbed up some other way. He didn't come by way of the door. All right, There's somebody there that's not supposed to be there. He doesn't have a wedding garment. Verse 12. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, <laughs> when you read that, it's like, what is this talking about? And where do I fit into this because we ask those questions what is the subject that is being conveyed here all right the subject is jesus is the door all right but there is another way there's another way to climb up or you can come in the wrong way you can come in without the wedding garment on same message two illustrations the street people they didn't even own a wedding garment they didn't know how many of you have ever watched downton abbey all right that for me was an educational movie because I had no idea what aristocracy in English culture was and all. I didn't know that you had a certain attire that you were supposed to wear to certain occasions. When you came down for the meal, it was a white tie occasion. But you remember the chauffeur, all right, Tom, fell in love with Lady Sybil. Long story short, they got married. And now he's back at Downton Abbey, he's the chauffeur. He doesn't know anything about protocol. He doesn't know you're supposed to wear like, well, he knows, but he's just not going to do it. So he shows up at the dinner with a suit and tie on and they're making fun of him because he didn't wear the right garment to the event. It's like that. People that were in the know, people, that landowners, business owners, people that were cultured, educated, the Jewish people who had sat under the law should have known what was required of them. But here's a guy that knew, but he didn't take to go to the trouble to wearing the garment. You see, the street people, they just came. They're like Tom. They, they don't know. They just came in by grace, and God gave them a garment. All right? We know that's true. Revelation 3, look at it with me. Verse 4, he says, You have few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before the Father which is in heaven. So the guess that was thrown out, most theologians and and commentaries say he knew better, but he chose to do it his own way. He didn't come in the way he was supposed to, and it was an insult. So the subject being conveyed is there is a door by which everyone must enter to be accepted. But there's another way to enter. You can climb up another way. It's, a, it's the attitude of I'm going to do it my way. If I believe that it's true, then it's true. And we will take the word of God and we will twist it and, and make it fit my life and the way I want to live. And we do it our way. There's old song, I did it my way. How many remember that old? I am not going to ask, because all the old people be and all the young people are like, what? <laughs> who was that, Elvis Presley? Frank. Frank Sinatra. Boy, you are going way back, aren't you, brother? Who knows who Frank Sinatra is, right? Oh, well, there's quite a few of you, yeah, okay. So it's, it, we become a law to ourselves. Now, the next thing is there. there's two leaders that's being described here. The shepherd who lays down his life, he's the door. He is the only real way to find pasture and abundant life. And then he describes a thief and a robber who is a hireling. He, he just pretends to be a shepherd. Now, we ask the question, does this apply to me? Yes, it does. You are going to follow one or the other. You're going to follow the shepherd or you're going to follow a hireling. If I choose the shepherd then this applies to me because it's my responsibility at that point to follow his voice. He said, my sheep follow my voice. He doesn't make the sheep follow him. He calls out to them and they follow him. As contrary to a goat. A goat doesn't follow anybody anywhere. That is one seriously contrary critter. I know I used to have one I came out one morning, he's standing on top of my car. (laughs) They leave little marbles all over the place. And they're never where they're supposed to be. It's hard to keep them pinned in. And they don't follow your voice. Sheep follow. All you do is call out to them and they follow you. All right. But it's their choice to do that. Sometimes they go astray. And he talks about that as well. But sheep follow the shepherd. They don't ignore the voice of the shepherd. I follow the shepherd's voice, it says, and I will be saved and we'll go in and out and find pasture. So then the third thing, what will happen if this message is ignored? If I follow the thief, the hireling, who is thought to be a shepherd, what happens then? He said the wolf will come and he will devour you because the hireling, he's going to run because he doesn't care about the sheep. He come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, all of this, as simple as it may seem, it addresses the basic fundamental question about salvation. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be accepted at the wedding supper? What must I do to be accepted as one of the sheep in the fold? I want to enter the right door the right way. I don't want to climb up some other way, right? I don't want to simply enter the door only to be bound hand and foot and cast out. So I believe this is important this morning because I believe that our eternity depends on getting this right. Knowing what is the right door, knowing what is the right way, and entering that way. It is critical to eternity. Let's pray, Father. Father. As we take your word, Lord, today, and we open it up and we examine it, Father, you have instructed us to study your word, to be acceptable before you, a servant, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Lord, I have committed my life to studying your word, God, and as best as I can understand what you're saying in this in this message, Lord, I, I have I, I have sorted it out, God, and I've I, I'm, presenting it in a way that i i want the body of christ to hear it and understand it so lord i pray today that you will help me by the guidance of the holy spirit to speak the truth to speak it accurately lord speak it in the right heart and the right spirit and then god i pray for the hearers lord that we have ears to hear god you told all of the seven churches lord when you wrote to them in revelation he who hath ears to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches so lord Help us to hear today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this morning, as I continue our series on the types and shadows of the Mosaic calling, last week we looked at the plagues, all right, the plagues of Egypt. And I told you that it was a preview of the big show. What we see God do to the nation of Egypt, which is a type of the world, was just a preview of what he's going to do in the end times, not just to a nation, but to the entire globe. Remember he told the church at Philadelphia, because you were faithful, all right, and you followed my command, and you were faithful to persevere. It's important that we see that, because you obeyed my command, and you persevered, all right, you were faithful to persevere. I will spare you from the hour of trial that will come upon the entire world to Try those who dwell upon the earth. And so we see that those plagues, it's a preview of the big show. Now, after the plagues in Egypt, the thing that came immediately after that was the Passover. Where God instructed them to take a lamb, kill it, put the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils. And when, the, when he comes by, he will pass over that. We're going to read that here in just a second. You see, Jesus is our Passover. John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the Lamb that was slain. His blood, when it is applied to our heart, causes the death angel to pass over us. Our salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood is applied through your faith alone. All right? What I started out with this morning, his word said it, and your faith in it, that settles it. For by grace, unmerited favor, you are saved through your faith It is not by your works, it's a gift. So that gift is given to you through Jesus Christ and through his shed blood. Hebrews it said that Jesus presented his own blood before God in the throne. So we know that Jesus is that blood sacrifice. He is the lamb of God. Exodus chapter 12, look at it with me, verse seven. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house wherein they eat it. All right, that was what he instructed him to do. Now skip down to verse 13. He says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Fast forward, when God sees the blood, he's not going to, the the, the judgment that's going to come upon the world will not come upon you and I because of the blood. He sees the blood. I thank God for the blood. Amen. Verse 14. So this day shall be to you as a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. How long do we keep this? Forever. All right. We still acknowledge this today. You shall keep it as a feast for an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now he has just completely changed gears here. He's gone from talking about the blood to talking about unleavened bread. Now, why? Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, everybody say the first day. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. All right? The blood saves you, church but so does the unleavened bread. You can apply the blood and turn around and eat the bread and you will be cut off from Israel, is what he's telling them. I will see the blood and pass over you, but if you eat leavened bread during that seven-day period, you will be cut off. That means you're either banished or you're put to death from the house of Israel. Pretty serious charge, amen? Verse 16, on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat and only may be prepared by you. Verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting Ordinance. God established this to be recognized throughout eternity. All right. Verse 18, in the first month of the 14th day of the month, at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall even be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven, the same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a stranger. That's a Gentile, or native to the land. That's a Jew. You shall eat nothing leaven in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. All right, now, to properly interpret what is said here, let's ask those questions again. What is the subject that is being discussed? <clears throat> Who does it apply to? Does that apply to me? If it does what action do I need to take in response to it and what will happen if I ignore the instructions <clears throat> Number 1 what is the subject in the message the passover feast is established <clears throat> through the blood of the lamb that points to Jesus Christ there's no other way for you to come into the kingdom but through his blood the blood over the lintel, on the doorpace is our salvation we came into the kingdom by Jesus Christ he is the door there's no other way to get in there yeah. other than through Jesus Christ. But God also established the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, no leaven is to be in the house. So what is leaven? Leaven is yeast. How many of you ladies remember back in the day when you didn't have self-rising flour? I don't know. Maybe you didn't. Huh? <laughs> <coughs> we <yelled. laughs> well, maybe not, but... There was a time when you didn't have self-rising flour. What happens when you cook biscuits with regular flour? You get hockey pucks. How do we know this, honey? We first got married. She's a great cook. Now, let me tell you, she really is. But unknowingly, she got a bag of regular flour, and she cooked biscuits. And I'm telling you right now, David could have used this thing to kill Goliath. You could use it for a skeet, but if you shot it with a shotgun, the pellets would bounce off of it. This thing was hard as a rock. Uh, It was ugly. So yeast is what you would put in the flour to make it puff up, to make it fluffy. It's the yeast, the leaven. That's what leaven is. It puffs it up. Everybody say, puffs it up. Leaven represents sin in the midst of the Christian faith. And if it is allowed to enter... It spreads throughout the whole lump and sometimes unnoticed. So we have to get the leaven out of our house. And he says, you got to get it out on the first day and to the seventh day. What is that talking about? Seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. In other words, he says, get it out of your life and keep it out of your life throughout your life. That is the feast of unleavened bread. That's what it represents. Seven days, get it out and keep it out because it will spread. Yeah. Look, at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter five with me. 1 Corinthians chapter five and verse one. It is actually reported that there are sexual immorality among you and sex, sexual immorality that is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up. Huh? There's leaven in the house. You're puffed up. And not and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. You gotta get it out. You gotta get that leaven out. Verse three for indeed I am absent in body, but present in spirit, and have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord your glorying is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump what's he saying Unconfronted sin will spread throughout the whole body. So does this apply to us? Does it apply to me? And if so, how does it apply? Exodus 12, 17 again said, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generation as an everlasting ordinance church the feast of unleavened bread or what it represents at least is as much a part of salvation as the blood and we need to see this what did jesus say at the last supper all right what was the very last thing that he did with his disciples he came in and he took the cup right this is the blood of a new custom, but he also took the unleavened bread we don't need to look over that Why are there two elements in the Passover? He took the unleavened bread. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You have to apply the blood and you have to apply the unleavened bread as well. They are both a part of salvation. So the feast of Passover is our salvation. It's the blood. That is what Jesus did. That's what he did. There's nothing I can do to be saved. It is only through his blood. That's what he did for me. And he provides that and offers it to be free through his grace, his unmerited. And if I put my faith in him, the blood is applied and it is given to me. But from that point on, I am now his sheep. And if I'm his sheep, I'm going to hear his voice and follow him. All right. And if I don't, I am not a sheep. I'm a goat. A goat is a butthead. They do, they butt everything. I know I should do this, but I ought to do that, but they butt this and butt that, right? Because they're carnally minded, right? And he says, be not carnally minded, right? I wasn't trying to be vulgar. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) See, the feast of unleavened bread, it points towards another subject that is discussed throughout the scripture is our sanctification it's the cleansing of the house. The blood is what Jesus did, but the sanctification is what you and I do. Jesus does not do that for you. I have to do that. He calls me, but I'm a sheep. I have to choose to follow him. He doesn't drag me along, I follow him. That's my part. That is what I do. So, what action do I need to take in response to the information? If we're going to enter the right door the right way, we apply the blood, we receive salvation through his blood, but we also have to get the leaven out of my house. I have to put on the wedding garment. And he says it needs to be without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. I was singing this morning as I came in. I pulled up the parking lot. I saw him popped in my head. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Are you living daily? I forget. Have you washed in the blood of the lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the lamb. I forget the words now, but anyway, have you laid aside the garments stained with sin and put on the wedding garment? Because it's as much a part of salvation as the blood. And many times, many places the church, they overlook this or they condemn the teaching that I'm teaching this morning. We know what is expected of us. Like the man that came into the wedding, he knew he was supposed to have on the wedding garment, but he tried to come in some other way. So look at it again. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. He said, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Verse 7 says, therefore purge out the old leaven." That's something that we do. He's telling us, you, you purge out the old leaven, my old habits, my old way of living, my old lifestyle. Yeah. Get it out. The first day, get the leaven out of your house. See, in the Jewish tradition, when when we celebrate Easter Sunday, the, the Jews, they have Seder meal. All right? And we've had Seder meals here. And in fact, we've gone through... Elaborate. We set up the table and set up the Seder meal and described each part of it. Well, part of the preparation for the Seder meal is to get leaven out of the house. And they make it a game. They will sweep the house anywhere they find any leavened bread. They get it out, and then they'll leave one little piece somewhere for the children to look for. And this is a part of the Jewish tradition going all the way back to the to the, to the Exodus. And then they go around till they find the piece of leavened bread and the one that finds it gets a prize. And all that points towards salvation, all of it, all right? It's not just a tra- tradition. It is actually scriptural. I don't know what the word is, being acted out. And so it's important that we get all of that. Out. He says, purge out, Verse. Look at, it, look at it again, verse seven. Therefore, purge out the old leaven um, that you may have, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed Christ, our Passover, our sacrifice was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us, everybody say, let us, God's not going to do this for you. Let us keep the feast. Now this is new Testament church. This is not the old Testament. This is the church, the letter to the church at Corinth and to us, let us, Keep the feast, not of the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so what is happening in this message? What will happen if we ignore it? Well, he told them, if you ignore this, he said, whoever eats the leavened bread from the first day to the seventh, that soul shall be cut off. We see an example when we open up the scripture in John and in Matthew that there's two ways to enter into the, to the banquet. There's two ways to come into the sheepfold. One is by the shepherd, but another guy came up another way. Those that was at the banquet, everybody there had on the wedding garment, but one guy didn't. So what does it mean? What must I do to be saved? Because there is a way to be saved. It is through the blood, the Passover. But it doesn't just stop there, church. You are a sheep, and now it's up to you to follow his voice. But there are those that will try to climb up another way. They show up for the feast, they make it into the feast, but because they have no wedding garment, they are bound hand and foot and cast out. Some of them follow the robber and the thief, the lie, and their house is still filled with leaven. but but they believe they are saved simply because they made it out of Egypt. He saw the blood and he passed over me. I made it out. What do you mean? I'm in the kingdom of God. I trusted in Jesus. The blood is applied to my life. I'm a Christian. I've been saved. I've made it out of bondage. I'm no longer in the bondage of sin. I've made it out. And they point to the blood. The blood has saved you. It's freed you from bondage. But church, I'm here to tell you this morning that the leaven will kill you. You can have the blood and still die because of the leaven in your life. He says, "Get the leaven out of your house, sweep it out." He said, "Because whoever eats the leaven from the first day, to the bed, they'll be they'll be cut off." So let me see if I can bring this around and and show you in the New Testament exactly what I'm talking about. Look at me with the Bible with me at um, the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, now who is he talking to? Who is the audience? That's you and I, all right? He's talking to the church. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, all right, he was faithful to the Father, as Moses. Now, isn't it interesting that he's going to make a comparison between Jesus Christ and Moses, the subject that we're addressing and have been addressing for several Sundays now. He appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, talking about Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who builds the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who builds all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony. The reason we're studying the types and shadows the mosaic calling is because that period of time and what they went through is a type and shadow of what we're going through today. It's a testimony of our Christian walk. Are you seeing this? Say amen. If you don't, just hang with me, all right? It's a testimony for those things which would be spoken of afterwards, all right? That's this morning while we're here. We're talking about this. Verse 6, but Christ as the son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. How people can read and study the scripture and read over that just totally befuddles me. When he addressed all seven of the churches, he addressed it from that standpoint. He told the church at Philadelphia, because you've obeyed my command and you were faithful to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial that comes upon the earth. Salvation doesn't just stop with the blood, contrary to what many people will tell you. That is a hireling teaching. You cannot have salvation apart from sanctification. You just cannot have it. That is as solid scriptural teaching as there is. You cannot have it. You can't be saved and just live any way you want to. You just can't and we're seeing that kind of teaching today where they're endorsing all kinds of things that is clearly contrary to the word of God and telling these people you're okay, you're going to make it into heaven living in that lifestyle and it is a lie it is the wolf devouring the sheep and the hireling turning and running for his life because he don't care about the sheep I'm telling you church, you got to clean the house and you got to Keep it clean. Let's read it again. Verse 6. But Christ as the Son over his own house, whose house we are, if... That is the biggest little word in the English language because everything that follows is conditional. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. If we clean the house and keep it clean. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit said today, today, if you will hear my voice... Sheep are going to follow the master. They're going to follow his voice. If you hear my voice and follow my voice, okay. And do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. That's talking about Moses when they came out of Egypt. Wherefore, your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. What is that saying? They wouldn't get the leaven out of their heart. Because he's not about going home and cleaning your house. He's talking about this house. We are the house. This is the temple of God. And the spirit of God dwells in me. Any man that defiles that temple, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy which temple you are. You can't have all kinds of trash and filth and junk in there and expect to be accepted at the marriage feast. You just can't to be accepted to allow in the sheepfold. You just can't. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath, verse 11, they shall not enter my rest. Bind them hand and foot, cast them into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So verse 12, he says, beware, brethren. King James says, take heed, brethren. Beware, brethren. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin we have become partakers of Christ, if, he says it again, if we hold the beginning of our confession steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, verse 15, do not harden your hearts as in a rebellion, for who having heard rebelled, indeed, was it not all that came out of Egypt led by Moses, now stop right there, every one of them was under the blood they would have never made it out of Egypt if they hadn't had the blood over the doorpost and on the lentils. They'd have never made Every one of them was under the blood. And they all fell in the wilderness because they would not get the leaven out. They rebelled. It's a rebellion. They wouldn't get it out. And he's telling us, beware, brethren. Verse 15, while it I read it. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not those in Egypt who was led out by Moses, verse seventeen? Now, with him, uh, now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose whose uh, corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But they who did not obey. So they had the blood. They escaped. They were baptized in the Red Sea. That's a picture of baptism. I mean, that's pretty much saved as you can get. But they would not clean out the leaven. They fell in the wilderness because they did not believe in cleaning the house and keeping it clean. So this morning, we can agree that I need to be under the blood to be saved. The Passover. To become a sheep. To be entered as a sheep foal. But can we also acknowledge that I must follow his voice? So what is his voice saying to me? All right. When I examine this, does this apply to me? What is this saying? What am I supposed to do with this? What happens if I ignore this? What is he saying to me? Get the leaven out. Get it out and keep it out all seven days. That speaks for the entire time of your Christian walk, your Christian journey on earth. Get it out and keep it out. Say, all right, pastor, now that you've scared the bejeebies out of us, what is the leaven we're supposed to get out of our life? What does the Bible call leaven? Look at Luke Luke chapter 12, verse 1. He said, in the meantime, this is Jesus talking, in the meantime, when there were gathered together in the innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware ye the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. All right? The leaven that we are to get out of our life is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the word hypocrisy just means role-playing. It means play-acting. It's pretense. The Pharisees, they pretended to be one thing, but they were actually something else. It's the guy that shows up at church regularly, puts on the religious robe, but he goes through all the motions, but it's all just show. It's not real. I mean, I'm not going to call you to judge people, but I, I worked construction for many years. And on the construction, brother, I'm going to tell you what, they had some potty mouths, right? And it's probably true in many different places, but I was in the construction world. And and I remember this one job, this guy, he was just always telling filthy jokes. Every other word was a curse word, blah, blah, blah. And one day I'm witnessing, you know, and I said something. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a deacon in my church. And I'm like, this is a big one, Elizabeth, I'm coming. I said, you're a deacon in your church? Really? Yeah, I'm a deacon in my church. Filthy mouth, telling jokes. All week long, I didn't go to church on Sunday, pretend to be man of God. The leaven of the Pharisees. It's hypocrisy. It's role-playing, acting the role. The Pharisees, they put tradition above the word of God. They do the word of God. Come on. They were the ones that was taught the laws and the prophet. They were the ones that taught it to other people. They knew it. They just didn't do it. They were self-righteous. It was all about rules and regulations, but no relationship with God. Because Jesus told them, if you knew the Father, you would know who I am. They didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with him. And he's talking to the Pharisees. If you knew the Father, you would know who I am. If you listened to him, you would listen to me. But you are not of your Father. You are of your Father, the devil, and his will you would do. He is a liar from the beginning, and that's all he can do is lie. And he's your dad, talking to the Pharisees. But everyone else thought they were the religious leaders of the day because they wore the robes, and they would stand on the street corners and pray these big, long prayers, and they were like the guy you go to for the big rallies and the big concerts. Huh, come on. Some of the big iconic names that you see today is like people are flocking to them, filling up stadiums full of people. And this is the guy. And then one by one, we're seeing them fall. Not all of them, but what is that? It's the leaven of the Pharisees. One thing is coming out of their mouths, but their life is shouting them down because it's an entirely different thing. They go their own way. They're like goats. They hear, but they don't listen. The shepherd is speaking, but they don't hear him. What did John say? He came to his own, but his own received him not. They're arrogant and proud. Pharisees, I thank God that, I'm, that, that, that I, I'm not like other men. I'm not like extortioners or unjust or adulterers, and I'm not like this publican. And Jesus said the publican would not even lift up his eyes towards heaven. This is the this is the IRS guy. Huh? Tax collector. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes towards heaven. But said, Have mercy on me, O oh God. Because I'm a sinner. He said he went down justified. Instead of that self righteous Pharisee. They're pretenders. They profess to be Christians, but they look, live, and act like the world. It's what Jesus told the church uh, of of Pergamos that these are the Nicolaitans. He said, You have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. I hate that. They put on pretense to be a Christian, but they live like the world and they endorse sin in the church and, and smooth it over and make you feel comfortable in your sin and tell you, You're okay, you're under the blood. Don't worry about it. You're under the blood. The blood takes care of all of it. Doesn't matter how you live. Mark chapter 8, verse 15. He goes on to say, and he charged his disciples, saying the disciples saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Say, Well, what is the leaven of Herod? That's a party spirit. You see, Herod was a he was a Jew he was the king of the Jews All right. he knew the Jewish law and he heard about John the Baptist he says I want to hear this guy bring him in and John the Baptist comes and preach one minute he's in a revival meeting listen to John the Baptist the next time you see him he is in a sexually perverted party which ultimately led in the beheading of John the Baptist this is the guy that he, he's, he's in church on Sunday but he's partying the rest of the week that's the leaven of of Herod the leaven of Herod he knows the talk but that's all it is is talk goes to church, possesses Christ but he lives like the devil he's at the dance hall on Saturday night church on Sunday smoking pot all week and the worship team on the weekend come on now Dressing Christ one minute and cussing the next. They want to fit in the world. They want to party and pleasure and power. They let the world control how they look, how they think, how they dress, where they go, what they do, who they go with. They want to hang out with the Christians at church on Sunday and with the world the rest of the week at school and work and the social gatherings. They know it's wrong, but they make excuses for their actions. What is that? That's the leaven of Herod. These two groups that I was talking about, they were attacking each other all week long. I'm I'm researching this and watching some video clips and stuff on it. And what they'll do is they use unfair tactics because we were in that discussion. They're arguing because they wanted to lump everybody, including us, not our church necessarily, but our belief system. And they'll, they'll find some guy that that has a belief similar to what we have, that really fell off. I mean, it is obvious. The whole church world will agree this guy is horrible. What he did was horrible. And nobody will deny that. And they use that as their poster child to say, and all of the rest of them are like him. It is an unfair tactic. Because they, they, I was watching one show and they were attacking Billy Branham, William Branham. For the record, William Branham was a heretic. All right, let me be clear on that. But they want to make it out that he was a heretic from the beginning and that the, 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 the ministries that followed him was his doing. And, and I don't know that that's fair. I'm not defending him, you understand. And I don't know if you know who William Branham was. He was a minister back in the 30s and stuff, and he was an ignorant man. I, I don't mean that in an ugly way. That just means he had no education. He, he never had any biblical training. In fact, he mocked people who had biblical training. He mocked people that used commentaries or that, that referenced Josephus, a historian. He made fun of that because he himself was an uneducated and ignorant man. What he would do is take the scripture and read nothing but the Bible, and then he would come up with an interpretation of what he said many times, which was way, way off in left field because he had no knowledge of Hebrew and Greek and and, and how to exegete scripture and hermeneutics. And he he apologetics, none of that. He didn't know any of that. He just, it says this and he would give it. One teaching was on serpent seed and boy, he went crazy with that. I worked with one of these guys. When I was in Bible college, you talk about an interesting day at work. He was a Branamite. See, the guy died in December. They didn't bury him till April. Because they believed he was going to raise himself from the dead. All right? I'm telling you, it was a her- Everybody in the kingdom of God would say, yeah, William Branham, oh yeah, he was out there, you know. That was a cult. It was a. We get that, right? But did he begin that way? I don- I don't honestly don't know, because there were great signs and wonders that followed his ministry. And if and if somebody takes that little sound bite I just said. That William Branham had great signs and wonders that followed his ministry, and that's all they take out of this message today. Then they would say, I am a splinter group off of the Branhamite movement. And they will lump me and us into that. See, they're all like that. And that's the way this side fights, and the other side fights the same way. And I'm watching them, I'm like, you're all going to hell. I can't say that, but I'm like, I don't want to be in your group, and I don't want to be in your group. Because, as far as I'm concerned, you are the Nicolaitans, and you are the Branhamites, the um, Balaamites. Because one group, well, how far do I go with this, Lord? You got the hyper, you got what I call the hyper grace. Camp into the, the hyper faith camp. The hyper grace camp says it's all about the blood. I'll get back to that because I think I got that in my notes. Let me let me don't get ahead of myself here. The Balaamite. What is a Balaamite? Some of you are Balaamite Nicolaitans. I don't know what you're talking about. The Balaamites they sell their gift for gain. Now. Uh, here, here it is, here it is, here it is. This is the argument of the Nicolait. This is one group, and, and I heard a guy, he, I like to fell out of my chair when I heard him say that this week. The blood is all you need. It's not what you do, it's what he did. Now, I don't disagree with that. When it comes to the subjects of salvation, it's not what I did. It's what he did. It's not what you did, but what he did that matters. He did it all. You don't have to do anything to be saved. That's true. But to walk out my Christian life, that's not true. He did it all. You don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter if you live holy or not. I'm like, a bolt of lightning's going to hit him for sure. The blood is all that is needed. Salvation plus anything, he said, is Catholicism. I hope they get a copy of this message. The blood is what, we, what he did, but unleavened bread, my friend, is what he expects from us. He will not remove the leaven. You have to do that. You have to get it out and keep it out. Amen? Amen? Because you got, let me get back on that. I will touch on that. You got the hyper grace crowd. It's all about the blood. It doesn't matter whether you live holy or not. I I remember, I was taught this church. Some of this, I'm I'm speaking from experience because I was in that camp at one time. And it said, Jesus died for your sins, past, present, and future. Doesn't matter what you do. I can go out and have an adulterous affair, and it's okay because Jesus died for my sins past, this sin right now I'm involved in, and whatever sins I commit tomorrow, it's all under the blood. Church, that is the Nicolaitans. They profess Christianity, but they look, live, and act just like the world, and God says, I hate that. The other side is the faith. It's the prosperity movement. It's all about God wants you to be wealthy and healthy and and you're going to be rich. All you got to do is name it and claim it and God's going to give it to you. Problem is, most of the apostles didn't get that memo. That won't preach in a third world country. God is going to heal you if you put money in my ministry. Now they say this. $200,000 for a speaking engagement to cover the bill on their airplanes and their private runways and all their jet airplanes and stuff. What is that? It's the Balaamites. I'm telling you, it's when you take your gift and you sell it for your own profit, your own gain. Now church, there's an element of truth in what they say, but they take it to an extreme. And then they want to lump people that takes the word of God in balance and wants to lump it in this guy that fell and that guy that fell and say, you're just like that. And and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, church, beware of these things. Beware of the leaven. Beware of it. First Corinthians 5, 8, look at it again. Therefore, let us keep the feast of unleavened bread. That's before Christ. That's what happened. Um, let me read it again. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven. All right. That's what was in our life before we met Jesus. Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. That's what creeps in. See, when I came to Jesus, he cleansed me, right? He cleansed you. But does, did you stay clean? How, how many of you are squeaky clean since the day you got saved? Have you ever had some malice creep in? Oh, yeah. The leaven of malice and wickedness. Look at that again. I believe this is the most dangerous leaven of all because this leaven is aimed at other people. Malice is a desire to harm or see others suffer. It's an extreme ill will or spite towards people. Just like this, this argument wanting to demonize Billy Branham. And a lot of what came out of that wasn't his doing. It's what people said about him after he was dead. I'm not defending him. What he taught was her- heretical teaching. I, 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 let's be clear on that. But I, they use unfair tactics with this. And it's, it's done through malice. There, there's some ministries, and listen, I know I'm kind of attacking some things this morning, but there's some ministries, that's, that's what they live for. Everything they do is just to point out what's wrong with everybody else. They elevate themselves by putting others down. That's malice. Malice enjoys seeing someone suffer. Malice will grow into wickedness. They hope to see their enemy suffer. This happens when you get offended by someone. Somebody does, you some, does, does something wrong against you or because you just don't like them. You want to see. And, and you, listen, what's in your heart? Your mouth. The Bible says, out of the good treasures of good man's heart brings forth that which is good. Out of the evil treasures of an evil man's heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And you could hear it, boy, I can't wait till they get what's coming to them. Huh, come on. I'm not even gonna ask for you to raise your hand if you've ever said or thought that. I just kid, boy, they, they, what goes around comes around. You know, Jesus called down lightning on them. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are of. That's malice, wishing harm on someone, wanting to see them get what's coming to them. You need to guard your heart, church, I'm telling you. He says, keep that leaven out, the leaven of malice and wickedness, because this happens when somebody does you wrong. Malice is the fruit of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and hatred. It will rob you of your peace, your joy, your happiness, your love, your compassion. And it'll not just stay with you because it's leaven. And like all leaven, it spreads. It doesn't just affect you. It affects other people as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Purge it out with all malice and be a kind one to another. Be tenderhearted and forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. First Corinthians 14, 20 says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. What is that? Have you ever seen kids and they'll be fighting one minute? Next minute they're best buddies. Because huh? children are not malicious. They don't have Malice. Me and my buddy Fuzz, we used to fight. He was my little buddy when I was probably about six or seven years old. He was blind in one eye. He could never see that bright hook coming. He couldn't see. I'd be, he never did beat me up in a fight. I beat his little tail every day. One time I went, went and rode a train at Old Fort, and I come back and told him. He said, no, you didn't. I had him down on the ground, beating his head on the ground. Do you believe me now? He believed me then. <laughs> well, the next minute we're going around the house with arms on each other's soldiers. We're best friends. Kids don't have malice. He said, in malice, be like children. You need to be quick to forgive people. Get over it. Amen. Amen. You can't, huh? Jesus said, forgive if you have ought against any that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. For if you do not forgive those who trespass against you, neither would your Father in heaven forgive you of your trespasses. You show up at the feast without the garment. You be in the sheepfold, but you're not a sheep. Church, I'm telling you, this stuff is, it ought to be ding-a-ling answered, a boom, right? To the church world. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8. Let's look at it one more time. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So purge, therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may have the new lump, since you are truly the unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast... Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What did he say? Yes. Purge it out. Purge it out. How do you purge out leaven? Now, I was a pipe fitter by trade for many years. I was about 25 years, I was a pipe fitter. And when you, any, any pipe fitters in the house, anybody know, have any experience in that by any chance? Yeah. When you purge, when you weld stainless steel, all right, you can't just butt it together and start welding it. It'll get what they call sugar, but it's not sugar. It's just black, nasty, crusty mess that will build up inside of it and nothing can pass through it. You have to cap it off and you have to fill it with argon. You have to put in the argon so you can push out the oxygen. You put in the good to purge out the bad So how do you purge out the leaven? You put in the good to push out the bad. That's why it's important that you spend time in his word. It's important what you're taking into your spirit. It's important that you don't listen to a lot of worldly stuff. You don't watch a lot of worldly stuff. Why? Because you're putting that leaven in you instead of putting the word of God in you. And if you want to get the leaven out, put the word in, amen? Come on, put the presence of God and the Spirit of God. Listen to his worship and his praises. Read his word. I'm building a, a mud room. We call it a mud room. I got Jeannie a potter's wheel for Christmas. All right. And she said, I, I don't want to use it in the house, it makes a mess. Now, I've got an old barn I built out of scrap lumber a long time ago. It's not real pretty, but it's still standing. Praise God. <laughs> And she said, can you just take one of those rooms and put a floor in it and make a room? So I'm making her a she-shack, and that thing is sweet. I even put her a TV on the wall and a DVD player. And we're down there, and she's painting it, and I'm putting up some boards, and we're watching The Chosen together. And I'm sitting there just, every time we watch that, me and her both look at each other, tears run down her face, right? And some people have different opinions of that. I know they take liberties that's not in Scripture. I get that. But you tell me what they were talking about on their way from one city to another. All right, that's not in the scripture. So they're not taking away from the word of God. They're just assuming this is probably the kind of conversations they had, the kind of things that they did. They cut firewood, they set up tents, they built fires. I don't have, I don't, personally, I don't have a problem with that. All right, I don't think it's distorting the word of God. But anyway, we're down there and I'm just, brother, I'm, I'm purging. I'm putting that in. I felt so. (laughs) Makes you feel good, don't it, babe? Get that nasty out. Put the the clean in. You flush out the old by replacing it with the new. He said replace it with sincerity. Replace it with truth. Replace it with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. So how do you purge your heart? You choose to do it. That's all. You just choose to do it. You recognize the fact that there's stuff in me that's not good. God, that's, that's not you. That's not you. Jeannie said something to me the other day she don't even know, but he took me off. <laughs> I know your wife never does that to you guys, but... Uh, and your husband, he never does that to you. He says or doesn't... like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number two... Huh? Come on. And immediately I said, God, please forgive me. Get that out of me, God. Get it out of me. I don't want that. I don't want to think like that. I don't want to feel like that. Get it out, God. Please help me. You choose to do it. Church, I was one of the most unforgiving people. I've had some hard knocks in life. I don't talk about that because I'm talking That's that's. But there's people did me wrong, wrong. And there was a time in my life, brother, if, I, if you put it on a screen, what went through my mind, I planned how I could get even and not get caught. I mean, all the way down to the rubber gloves and the paper suit, no DNA left behind. I can make this set and think about it, ponder on it. And I went to a conference one time this this lady taught about unforgiveness and it just went off in me said it's a choice you make you choose to forgive and she I won't go into this long story but she had physical ailments because of unforgiveness and and she said God you know I don't mean it in my heart but I choose to forgive and she named these two men that wronged him they were in ministry as a pastor's wife I choose to forgive them. And she said, I began to pray. God, you know, I don't mean it in my heart, but because you commanded me to, I choose to forgive them. And she said, before God, he changed my heart. So not only did I choose to do it, I meant to do it. And it got to the point to where I didn't just forgive them, but I prayed for them. God, you forgive them, bless them. Bless their family, bless their life. Give them health, Lord. Help their ministry to prosper. And prayed it with sincerity and truth. See, so you purge that old stuff out with taking his word. What did he tell me to do? Not what I want to do. I want vengeance. I want to get even. That's your flesh. That's natural. But I purge that out by putting this in. And choosing to do this rather than what I want to do. And as I heard her teach on that, I was like, God, I want to do that. And I even sat down and wrote a list. Lay hands on it and said, God, you know I don't mean this in my heart. But I choose to forgive that man, what he did to me. And God changed my heart. So I didn't just pray it because of a discipline, I praise it because I purged out that old leaven with the new. I put something good in to push the old out. Because, church, I'm telling you, if you don't do this, you're not keeping the feast of unleavened bread in your life. Now, how that's going to turn out on the day of judgment, that's between you and God. I don't know. But he said. Bind them hand and foot. Cast them into outer darkness. That should concern us that are sincere about our Christian walk. What do I have in my heart? What's in my heart, God? The Bible says that the heart is wicked above all things. Who can know it? so important we get this right church because there's a way to go in but it's the wrong way there's another way to get in you can climb up another way but it's the wrong way there's only one right way and that is doing it god's way and in the communion there was the blood and the unleavened bread amen why not you stand with me if you would please I'm going to ask the, my uh, media team to put this last scripture up on the screen because I would like for us, occasionally I will take this scripture and I make this a prayer. This was the prayer that David prayed after he had sinned against uh, against Uriah the Hittite by taking his wife Bathsheba. And I thought it would be a good way for us to close this morning by just reading this together. So I'm gonna ask you if you would just read it with me. Psalms 51 verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts you make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear your joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast away from your presence and do not take your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit then i will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you father we come before your throne this morning, acknowledging, Lord, that we are just mortal people, God, and we battle this flesh. Lord, the apostle Paul said, we all run in a race, but only one obtains the prize, and that we should run in a way that we may obtain that prize. He said, we do not fight the air But we buffet our body and we keep it under subjection, lest we preach to others and we ourselves become a castaway. Lord, throughout your scripture, I see this principle, God, that you did your part at Calvary and your blood has given us access to your throne. Hebrews said, because of you, Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne of God and make our requests known unto him. You've given us that access, but Jesus, you also required of us to follow your voice, Lord, to cleanse our house and to keep it clean. Lord, I pray today that you cleanse us, Lord. Hear the words of our prayer, God, as we pray that precious word that David prayed, Lord, and cleanse us, oh God, today. Lord, whoever, whatever they've done, Lord, I, I, I pray right now for every single person under the sound of my voice that no matter what they have done, God, Lord, that sin is not just under the blood because it hasn't been confessed as some people teach, Lord. Lord, you said if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is faithful. And if we will confess that sin, Lord, then you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Lord, help us to see that it requires us acknowledging it and confessing it, Lord. There's not just a blanket salvation that covers my sin past, present and future can't just do anything we want and it's all under the blood lord and god those that's teaching that god i pray that you just open their eyes to the heresy of what they're teaching lord god you can't get apart away from the leaven so lord today i pray god that you cleanse the temple once again lord you hear our prayer lord and create in us a clean heart renew a right spirit within us lord so that we can have that sweet communion with you. Now, in Jesus' name. If there's something in particular that you just wanna lay at the altar before the Lord, we're gonna close with the worship team singing a, a, a praise song. And the altar's open. We would love to come and pray with you if you've got needs Other than what we talked about this morning, you may be going through something else. And we would love to come in agreement with you. So, while the worship team leads, the altar's open
1: uh, if you bleed, indeed my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head of sinner such as I and at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight Now I am happy all the day Was it for crimes that I have done He groaned upon the tree Amazing! Pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight His side and shut his glories in. When he cries, the mighty baker died for man the creatures. At the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was thereby. I received my sight. Now I am happy all the day. Thus might I hide my blushing face while Calvary's cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Ye, Lord, I give myself away.
0: I don't know about you, but I feel like I just took a shower inside. Amen. <laughs> Squeaky clean. Praise God. Amen. 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 Father, help us, Lord, when we step out into the world, God, the enemy's there ready to throw mud on our garment. God, help us to keep it clean and pure, Lord. Put a shield around us, Lord, as when we are doing our part, God, I know, Lord, that you will do yours. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you go before us, Lord, that you surround us with your presence, Lord. Commission your angels to watch over your children, Lord. You said surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life." So, Lord, I just set your people apart from the world today, God, and I pray, Lord, that your presence just go with them in a mighty way. They know God and hear your voice this week, Lord, that we can come once again to the house of God and set together as a corporate body under your word, Lord. Keep us. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ and over every home that is represented here, Lord. Make it a refuge, God, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where you're honored, a place where your Holy Spirit is welcome, Lord. God, I pray that you just strengthen the family, husbands and their wives, parents and their children, and siblings, one with each other. Lord, those that are traveling their journey alone, God, bring that person into their life, Lord. I saw that person just this morning, Lord. I pray a special prayer for that. You know who's on my heart, God. They're looking for that special person, Lord. Help them to find each other, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.